Welcome to This Artistic Life. On this podcast, we sit down with professional artists of all disciplines to talk about their journeys, what inspires them, and their unique perspectives from life off the beaten path. Brought to you in part by Artist Relief Tree, a relief fund for artists affected by cancellations due to COVID-19. I'm your host, Daniel Welch. Today's guest is Daniel Bennett, a jazz musician, saxophone player, composer, and leader of the Daniel Bennett Group. He's known for his international tours, being a fixture in the New York City jazz scene, and nine studio albums. Dig it. All right, brother. Uh, thanks so much for um, joining This Artistic Life. I mean, we, we, we go back a ways, but, uh, you know, new projects. We go back a long way. We go back to Rochester, New York, baby. And, and you were actually just commenting on my Facebook post because I posted about uh, Bop Shop Records in Rochester. Yeah, man. Dude. And it's when still was... going strong. Yeah, my, my they, band that's did awesome. a show there. Yeah, they're, they're going strong. My, my band did a show there about a year ago. A uh, big live stream show. It was at, of course, at that time I had a big audience and it was great, man. But they're still going. They got live. Uh, they're doing a live stream series every week. Dan Gross as uh, a producer in Rochester. He works yeah. for, uh, yeah, WGMC, the jazz radio station, also works for um, Democrat and Chronicle newspaper. He's all, over, I think he's actually working at one of the TV stations too. So he's a big jazz fan. So he's, uh, and a jazz musician in his own right. So he's, He's producing this series over there at the Bop Shop. So, yeah, go Rochester. Is, I love. What it. does he play? He plays bass. Oh, okay. He plays bass, and he and he's got a great radio voice. He's got an yeah, awesome he does. radio. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's really he. He's like the the Renaissance man of, of media, and he's based in Rochester. And so he's he's busy, man. He's been busy this whole time doing things and just like all of us finding creative ways to push out new music and new media. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I used to way back in the day, God, this must've been 2006, seven. I managed Bodie's cafe that was right. Oh, like right around the corner from Bob shop yeah. in that. You in know that what? Spot. I think, I think I remember seeing you there once we might've chatted for a second. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember yeah. when you were there. God, that was 15 years ago. <laughs> Dude, it's awesome. And we've played music a little bit over the years in church and, and yeah. we've done stuff together. Yeah, man. I mean, well, you're a renaissance man. I mean, you're you're like Mr. Media. So, I mean, I'm happy to be here, man. Yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a weird and winding road, but honestly, I'd have it no other way because everything that I've done it it kind of is spearheading in, in what I do now, which is which is great. So I'm actually taking a little bit of all of my my media past, both musical and visual, and they all kind of come together, which is nice. It also allows me to be a, a self-producer um, more efficiently than somebody who's got to learn it from scratch. Like there's a lot of people that are, you know, they're pivoting right now and they're trying to do self-tape stuff at home and record at home. Whereas I've always had some semblance of a recording studio in every place that I've lived as yes. well as, you know, photo stuff. So for me, it just kind of like, I've already been in this groove, <laughs> which is convenient. Yeah, totally. <laughs> And, you know, that's kind of the theme now. It's basically, I would say anyone who uh, had their act together, you know, a year ago it, is going to be fine. If you were already doing your thing, self-producing, promoting, then then you'll be fine. I mean, I, I would say the same thing for restaurants. Restaurants who were well run in 2019, um, you know, I, obviously there's some there's some struggles now, but they're they're going to be OK if you're if you are um 
if your restaurant was was managed well. And I'd say the same thing for artists. If you had your whole uh, social media presence and you had your marketing down and uh, or the media guys like you who have been doing uh, photography and podcasting, like you already had the apparatus ready and you've been doing it. So this is nothing new in a way. Yeah, yeah, it really isn't. It's just now there's now the market is flooded with everybody else, <laughs> which is a really unique thing. I mean, there's uh, honestly there's space for everybody, but it's yeah. really interesting to see everybody kind of dive into this digital space. Um, it's it's pretty wild to see. But I mean, yeah. you and I you and I have have gone way back. But for those of my listeners who are unfamiliar with who you are and what you do, why don't you give us a brief rundown of. Uh, what you do with whom and where um, we can look at pre-pandemic yeah. here and we'll get into mid-pandemic a little later. That's cool. Uh, I'm a saxophonist. I live in Manhattan. I've got two kids, two wild kids. In fact, I'm, I'm taping this interview in, in my uh, home studio, which is locked at the moment. So the kids don't come <laughs> barging in. <laughs> it's awesome, man. So I've got two kids on, and uh, I'm a band leader, a composer. Uh, I do a lot of traveling and touring. Uh, right before the uh, the pandemic, I was in London playing some shows at Ronnie Scott's with my group. Uh, my group is easy to find. It's Daniel Bennett Group. And I, I tell people, um, you know, for me personally, I, I, I'm kind of like you. I've been, I didn't really, I didn't have to do a huge pivot in a way because I, the, my intensity has not changed. I've always been a self-starter and I'm always out there doing new things. Um, you know, I'm working on my ninth studio album. My producer called me back in July and she said, dude, the studios are open. You could be the first group to, to make a record in New York City. So <laughs> I, we probably were one of the first groups to, to come back to the studio. Uh, we actually did have a session that was scheduled for March that was canceled. But she said, look, get in here. Let's do it. And uh, and I didn't look back, man. So. Uh, I'm out there doing stuff. Um, my group uh, has, we, we spend a lot of time on the West Coast, uh, Los Angeles. We Prior to the pandemic, we had done our album release at Herb Elpert's Vibrato in LA. Um, we're in the Midwest. We, we go to Florida every year, um, which I think we'll still do. We're planning to do it at the end of this year. Like, you know, like everyone, we're, we're finding these creative ways to, to, uh, to travel. Uh, I travel mm -hmm. light. Uh, you, you, you saw my group last night. I was yeah. at Tommy. Yeah. Tommy jazz in Midtown where I play every week, beautiful club, which is open and they have live music. They've had live music. As soon as they got the green light, they had live music at this club in New York. So um, another pet peeve of mine is, is this whole notion that live music is somehow just canceled. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause, cause totally. it's not. And I, and I tell people if, and I'm sorry to ramble here, but this is this is what I always tell people: if you, um, the Earth is your stage, you know, and mm. if you believe in gravity, which most of us do, stand on the Earth and play. <laughs> and if it, you don't have to go far in New York to see the outdoor dining all on every single street. Yep. And believe it or not, there's a lot of clubs that offer outdoor live music. This is not a big secret. People think that it is, and people are surprised when they see that I'm out playing. But there is music all over the city. Um, my buddy Mike Feinberg called me back in, in May, actually, and said, dude, come down to the Canary Club on the Lower East Side. They have live music outside in May. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I went. They, just, they got the green light early and just can't, just turned around and started cranking it out again. Yeah. Yeah. They just, and actually at that time it was just takeout. People were just doing takeout, getting takeout orders, and they had a little 
area for the band to make to play music while people got That's awesome got their food and the weather was beautiful during that time we had a beautiful spring um so you know we were we were all out there trying to do stuff make stuff happen uh right away so um yeah so that's my long answer to your question uh <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'm out there yeah yeah so i find uh I, I find jazz to be a really fascinating genre because it's got a lot of subgenres within it and i feel like it's always it's always changing it's always morphing it's progressing and there and you know some people associate jazz with those people that cover the classics with really specific arrangements or the big band and they they redo the crooner stuff or you know others write their own arrangements and modify tunes and then there are those who write for themselves like yourself um so a lot like the the pop rock rock hip-hop genres there's a lot of variation uh for you what was the what was the catalyst that began the transition from the classics that we learn in school to moving to creating your own works and more importantly your own style um, within the genre yeah, the funny thing for me is my my interests were very, very, very set and fixed at a young age. My, I was always into folk music, uh, prog rock, fusion at a young age. And then I actually think I I, I almost repressed that when I was in college. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, finally uh, freed myself uh, to 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 go back and just do what I always loved to do. I actually think that most of us have interests that are set. Now, I don't want to say set in stone, but they're, they're, they're somewhat fixed from a young age. And the problem is we, we kind of repress those things as we get into college. Um, social pressure, academic pressure, we, we kind of don't accept these things. And then most of us kind of like go, okay, I'm in my 30s or whatever. I'm, 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 I don't care what anyone says. I'm just going to be me again. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know, even for me in my twenties, I figured, I figured out pretty quickly in, in college that I was not a straight ahead jazz player. Um, mm -hmm. I did, I mean, and of course I, I do play that music and I, I teach at the New York jazz Academy in times square. It's a great school. And I, I, you know, that stuff, that music is so important. The melodies, the, um, the chord progressions are timeless. I mean, I do love Jerome Kern, Cole Porter, Ellington. It's part of me, but but you wouldn't know it if you if you heard me, you know, at Tommy Jazz this week. I mean, we were just uh, playing some pretty wild stuff um, that's just kind of my own stuff. So uh, my answer to this would be: I think I was always um, I always knew what I wanted, but I I just had to peel off some of these layers that had gotten pressed onto me. Yeah, I think that I think that's a really good way to put it. I I think we are particularly in the conservatory setting are so often told what's good. And, you know, like, like you said, pressed, pressed on you, I think is a, is a great analogy because it's um, that that's spot on. Uh, and then later on we figure out, okay, I like that, but I can also make it my own in this particular way. Or, um, you know, you can, you can, you can adjust it and make something and get full ownership of something rather than just being regurgitating either what you were told was good uh, or was told you should like this uh, or yeah. listen to this and yeah. so you can start making your own choices. Absolutely. I would, I read an article recently uh, where they talked about fear and, and the, one of the number one fears that people have is just the fear of getting yelled at, getting reprimanded, being told, just being yelled at, <laughs> Yeah. just be, being called out being, and 
people are terrified, especially nowadays. I mean, now it's just gone to a whole new level. So people are just really afraid of this, of, of getting, of being yelled at. And I tell you, there's a, there's so much freedom when you can, when you can overcome that fear, when you can overcome that fear, which a lot of us have, I, I think you have a lot of the, the people in the music and the media world uh, have done this because 2020 forced us to, you I mean, I was, I went from, again, I was touring in London back in January and I actually did my, my album release of the blue note here in New York city at the end of January. And a month later, I'm standing on the street corner playing my saxophone. <laughs> you know, my, my band is like, you know, we're, we're in the parks, playing. we're everywhere. We're in front of clubs where, I mean, we're, we did, I think I probably went around to a dozen clubs and performed outside for, for takeout orders, people getting their takeout, people getting their, their ramen noodles. And all of a sudden here's the Daniel Bennett group playing my music. <laughs> it's wild, man. I think I told you this last night at Tommy jazz. It's it's like the wild West right now. Yeah. And I mean, that's great. That means you're creating opportunity rather than waiting oh, yeah. for it to happen. Oh yeah. This, th there's two, two types of people right now. There are people who just said, I don't care. I'm going to just fight back and I will play in a snowbank if I have to. And there's people who have, who have canceled themselves and I don't know what they're doing right now, hiding under their bed. I don't know, but yeah. that's what's happened now. It's forced people to either you either take charge and fight back in your own way or, or, or you die, your, your art dies. And that's obviously that's not an option for me. And for, for a lot of us, believe me, I mean, I'm not the only musician out there. There, there are uh, other band leaders who have been out there from the beginning trying to push their music out there. I think yeah. we, particularly in, in the, the States with the, the capitalist mindset of, of music having to be, uh, of music not being a way of life or art not being a way of life, but rather a, a way to pay your bills tends to, it, it's easy to sink into a really distinct path that you know is going to work for your career, but right. doesn't allow you to play with it a little bit or experiment or find new things. And I, in this portrait project that I was working on that I shot you guys for, um, yeah. it's really interesting because a lot of the artists that I'm talking to are finding that this great pause of the arts in New York City has led them to get really introspective and approach their art in a new way and kind of discover new things about it. And had they not uh, had basically all their gigs yanked out from underneath them, um, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have veered off the path that they were on. And sometimes those paths that they were on were not great paths. You know that they they got them very stuck and they've been able to be flexible and change and find something new to do new ways to perform new audiences um but it's been very much about the art rather than the gig and i think that's yeah. really awesome um finding kind of a a, a personal renaissance um in your yeah. own work i think is really important for artists as they go and um it, it's easy to lose it's really easy to lose sight of that um you, you you do a lot of a lot of live playing but you said you're on your ninth your ninth album right yeah now. yeah does, do you find that um does one drive the other or is it sort of a chicken and egg situation like did in your head where does your music live is it is it live or is it studio work mm. it's 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 live it's it's always been live um and generally the album is 
in my mind, kind of a live concert, you know, in the mm. studio, yeah. um, you know, but I, I'm a live musician at heart. I'm a street musician at heart. I used to play in the bus stop when I lived in Rochester. I lived, I would just go to the bus stop and play music, you know, with friends. You know, we would say, we got kicked out of the mall in Rochester when I was a teenager because we brought our <laughs> instruments to Marketplace Mall in Henrietta. You, you've been to that mall. That's awesome. And, uh, <laughs> We set up our instruments. We they let they, we we I think we went for about twenty minutes before they realized that we were not invited by the mall that we were just playing. You know, I think we, we were so matter of fact that I think they thought maybe we had been hired to play. That's uh, awesome. So we, yeah, yeah. Josh Soto was on drums. You remember Josh? I do. Robert, yeah, yeah. Josh Soto was on drums. It was great, man. We uh, we got about twenty minutes of music in before this mall security came by in these little golf carts and kicked us out. <laughs> <laughs> I think they even put Josh in the back of the golf cart or something because he had all his drums. All right. <laughs> they said, "Sir, put the drums in the golf cart." We, you know, it was very serious, very serious, very serious crime. Yeah. <laughs> The, the the very serious crime of live music. <laughs> yep, yep. It's awesome, man. It's there's great. A, it's there's great. a unique uh, experience that people get that I feel like if you play live on the street, if you busk, you do that kind of thing. It um, yeah, it hardens you in a way <laughs> that oh, yeah. no other live playing does, like Absolutely. at all. You know, I've I've when I used to be bored, I would, I would grab my guitar either in Rochester or Kansas city. I did a little bit here in New York and I'd grab my guitar and just go play somewhere public because I always, when I was playing music, I very much was a live musician. I liked the yeah. live space the same way. And so it didn't matter if I had like a legit audience or I was just out there playing and I would oh, yeah. it. but it's, it's interesting because you have random conversations with strangers about the music and, um, you get you get the you get the lovers and the haters <laughs> absolutely and it can be very satisfying uh but it also hardens your skin quite substantially oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it toughens you up but it, it does help in the long run uh for instance when we were in london we played at the london jazz festival at ronnie scott's and we we did two nights there the first night we had a big sound check it was great at the end of the show the sound guy said look daniel um you know, we got a busy schedule tomorrow. So, so no sound check. Your band has to just, we're, we'll give you two, two minutes to line check your mic and that's it. And this was a pretty intense situation. I was touring with a, a guitar player and a drummer. So the guitar player had looping pedals, all sorts of things we needed to, to test out. But getting back to that street mentality, I mean, we had been, we had performed in any, in every possible context. So you know, you just roll with it. You just roll with it. Yeah. And you figure out a million ways to fix the problems on the spot. And that's it. I mean, I tell my students at the Jazz Academy, life is just a big problem that you have to fix. That's all. Yeah. It, there's always a way to fix something. Another analogy I always say, you know, when your sink breaks, you call the plumber and the plumber fixes it. The plumber is not, you know, just some optimist who says, you know, who's just coming in with this positive energy. No, the plumber knows how to fix a sink. That's it. Yep. That's just his. And, and we have a super in our building here in Manhattan who, who is incredible. He can fix anything and he's fearless. He's like an artist. And I, I love that. I'm inspired by it because he'll just fix anything that's broken. And it's taught me that like everything is fixable. Everything. Yeah. Everything. And there's a back door for everything. There's a front door. You can go through the attic. You can go through the basement there. Everything is 
the world is too big for there not to be little tricks and trap doors that you can go through. It's too, it's too big. And this, I say this in a good way. Uh, life is so huge and the possibilities are so endless. It's, this is cliche, but it's true. It is impossible to fail. It really yeah. is. It really is. Um, because obviously we do fail, but in, in three seconds, you can pivot and find another way to get what you really want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I had a, a theater director on, um, on one of my episodes and we were talking a, a, about this concept of success and failure and how failure is, is not failure is not the end unless you choose it to be the end. Oh, you know, it doesn't, failure isn't the end of your story unless you say, okay, it stops here. Mm. And yep. I was like, that's a great way to look at it. You know, there's always get up, keep moving. Um, but that, that, like you said, they're playing out, playing live, playing in all these different situations makes you think outside the box. I mean, I've played in the rain. I've had, yeah. I've had to turn into acoustic only sets because we couldn't use electricity because like stuff got flooded. Um, oh, yeah. You know, we've had breakers die on stage so that like we ran out of like electricity was no longer working or like half the soundboard right. went down, like all kinds of crazy stuff. And you, yeah. just, you find a way to make it work. Yeah, and, and what musicians don't realize is that the audience is actually rooting for you. So if they oh, see yeah. you switching to acoustic, they love that. They get what's going on. Yeah. People are smart. They know that the that you you're you're fixing something and now they're with you. You've you've reset the rules. You've said, okay, now the rules are we're acoustic. <laughs> yep. The audience is right there with you. Like, oh, okay, cool. Now they're acoustic and they're gonna reset their brain, their ears, they reset the ears. And they're going to love it. It's it's really amazing, but you got to own it. As you're saying, you have to just own the situation and people will, will follow you. And people, yeah. the audience then looks at that, whether it's an audience or a viewer or whatever, that those are some, those are moments that they remember. And that yeah. makes that set memorable and yeah. all the more impressive that you came out yeah. on the other side with, with an experience that they really enjoyed. You know, they're the, that's the time when somebody's like, oh, I was at this gig the other day, the power went out. Those, those guys just kept going, man. Like they found a way oh, to yeah. make it work. They kept playing. It was a really unique experience. Uh, and, yeah. and being able to find that unique, uh, that unique solution that, like you said, you own it. Those, the, those are the memorable ones. Those are the ones people talk about forever. Those are the ones that if somebody yeah. was bootlegging it live, they now have a really unique recording that likely will <laughs> never be repeated. You know, I mean, how many, how many bootleg albums have we listened to from all kinds of stuff where, there's a weird situation and that's what stands out in our mind. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I used to produce a music festival in Rochester. Actually, we did it for five years and it rained four out of the five years. It rained. And early on Rain this, in Rochester. <laughs> I know. I know. Imagine that. Uh, and it used to really bother me. I would get really stressed about the weather, really stressed. And over the years talking about getting thicker skin, I just toughened up. And I just owned it, man. I just owned the rain. And if, if it hurts the turnout, who cares? And, and, you know, you just, you push through it. And now, of course, through the beauty of social media, you can market and shape anything, okay? Anything can be shaped and spun and marketed and has a new life. Um, so, yeah, I learned a lot. Uh, when you are, negativity is such a killer, it just kills your brain. It kills everything. And people around you get, get tense Yep. as a leader. People get tense if the leader is, is, is uh, upset. So I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. How long have you been um, part of the New York scene? You've been around for a while. Uh, 
Yeah, I've been in New York City about 12 years. I was living in Boston before that um, and still kind of traveling back and forth. I used to travel from New York to Boston quite a bit. I was playing at the Liberty Hotel in Boston. So I would go from Chinatown, New York to Chinatown, Boston on the the uh, the now defunct uh, Fungwa bus. The yes. Fungwa. Was, yeah. That was a classic way to travel right there. That was great, man. Ten dollars cash, cash only. Yep. You just pay the guy on the street, and you go between. So I would, I would hop between the two cities quite a bit. But then I, my wife and I, moved here permanently uh, about twelve years ago, um, and we've been in the same neighborhood uh, this whole time on the Upper East Side. Uh, we live pretty close to a, uh, Rupert Park, which is a beautiful park for our kids, and pretty close to Central Park also. So. We like it here, man. We, we, we love it here. So we're very much, uh, we, you know, we own our apartment. We're very committed to the neighborhood. Um, and I've seen nothing but beautiful stories come out of New York City this year. So I'm nothing. And last year, too, I'm nothing but positive about New York City and how things are going. I just, I, I'm, when you have a vested interest, and I'm sure you feel the same way, when you're really digging into where you live and your neighborhood, um, you can't you won't you're you're always going to see things in a beautiful way i just don't i don't accept any of this negative spin that has been thrown at us so things are good things are good yeah, yeah. i mean you're you're really uniquely qualified to discuss finding ways to to perform no matter what you said you've done 50 gigs since the pandemic started something like that it, it at least we did a almost every week i was at the canary club downtown um, they took a pause in the winter. They're opening on the 14th of this month, February. They'll open up because of the indoor dining is coming back. Mm -hmm. I was down at Canary Club for a while. And of course, Tony Jazz every week. There's a place called Gertrude on the Upper West Side. They have music pretty much every week on Sundays. Um, and then I was just doing some uh, traveling. I was playing with friends in Boston, New Hampshire. I went to Rochester a couple times. Um, and then my band also does, in addition to just physical performing, my band does a live stream concert every week and we blast it out to a new venue every week. We've done this since June. So uh, we've been, we've done shows for the Food Center Museum in Florida, the Bonnet House Museum, National Library. Then we did, did a Zoom concert for the Miami-Dade library system. So we're tapping into the live stream thing. I have a kind of a love-hate relationship with live streaming. I, uh, it, you know, it's not always my cup of tea, but I know that people are on there watching. So, you know, I'm, I embrace it for what it is. Um, but, you know, so we're easy to find. I mean, my group is is doing things. We're, we're very active. I, I never really shut down at all. I don't, I know it sounds strange, but I never really even, as soon as the lockdown started, I, I didn't even consider it a lockdown. I mean, my, it's funny. I, my kids wouldn't even know what a quarantine is because <laughs> I've just never used, I don't use those phrases. It's not that yeah. I'm trying to say that like, you know, some, some crazy guy who's like completely unaware of things, but I don't, I just don't like labels. So I never really labeled any of this. My kids wouldn't know, you know, self isolating to me, that's a very depressing label to, yeah. to put on yourself. So, and I don't mean this in a, even in a political way, I just think that as a human, I don't, I don't like those labels. I, I didn't right. like labels before the pandemic, but I will say this though, too, you know, I'm one of these people who I understand it's, it's a complex world. And my only focus is to make people feel normal. And that's what music does. I know everybody's coming at it differently. Totally fine. I don't judge. I don't judge, but I will say my mission is to simply make you feel 
normal. So that means my music is not political. My music has nothing to do with the pandemic. My music, it is normal. My music has not changed in, since last year or before. My music is the same. Um, people have asked me, do you, is, has your sound changed? No. Nothing has changed. I don't, I mean, hopefully I've grown as a musician. Yes, but <laughs> right. I, I don't, you know, I don't have an agenda. There you go. Mm -hmm. Sound has no agenda, right? That's why everyone likes music. There's no agenda. It's just sound waves, yeah. you know? <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that. Do you think uh, this, this digitalization, these live streams, that kind of content, um, do you think that there's a, a future for that? Um, specifically in the in the jazz industry do you think that's going to be a part of the industry moving forward uh or do you think it's going to peter out again and push more back to the live stuff what are your thoughts on that oh i hope it goes back fully live <laughs> i'm not afraid oh, to i mean that. i'm expecting it to go fully live <laughs> no, but i mean no, the please. i mean the influence of yeah of yeah, being, yeah, yeah. No, able no. To play other you places know, the funny thing is i i don't want live streaming to catch on but i do want it to catch on because it's been, very, it's been very lucrative for me our live stream shows have been very lucrative so and of course releasing albums digitally i obviously this is all going to be here for the future but the selfish part of me doesn't want that to be here i just want to go back completely live and yeah and i will always you know i think that for me my ideal business model is to always play live and then broadcast on the internet, but I'm always live. I'm in front of people. That's kind of how I always structured. Now it's kind of on its head where some people are just kind of going live to, to no audience and it's right to the internet. And, you know, so ideally we'll go back to playing in front of physical audiences and it will still have a life on the internet. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm easy at the end of the day. I mean, we're, we're, as long as we can find our audience, uh, you know, it's going to be what it is. Um, and it's going to be great no matter what it's going to be great because people always adjust the, the, the vibe. People always find a way to reset and reconstruct how they listen to music, how they, how they, uh, enjoy music. Um, live performing absolutely will come back huge. I know this because I'm performing live right now and I have been since May outside and it's kind of huge. People are, well, I, People will give a lot of money to musicians playing on the street. People are really hungry for music. So yeah. I don't think there will be any um, enthusiasm low drop uh, after this because I already see how passionate people want to hear music. When I, back in April, man, I used to play on my the front steps of my building. I would just play long tones on the clarinet, not even serious. And people would come by and take pictures and like we're just so into it because it was just made them feel human. So yeah, people are primed. Their live music is going to be fine. We're, we're actually going to have a problem. It's going to be a good problem, but we're going to have a problem in that it, there's going to be too much activity, too much live. I mean, the competition, it's like everyone and their brother is going to come out. You, you yeah. see this, right? I feel Media you there. World. Yeah. It's yeah. Get ready. It's going to be big, man. It's, it's like, whew, you know, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> It, what I find really interesting is that, <clears throat> well, a lot of people, particularly in the media and when they discuss technology and in the arts, uh, tend to separate the the digital from the the live or in person aspect of things. But I find a really unique bridge between the digital content and the face to face because, for me, it's all some level of networking. Like 
I never, you know, if you told me five years ago that I would host a podcast that has, you know, downloads in the five figures, I would have been like, well, why? Why would I do that? I do everything face to face. But I found that the conversations that I have face to face or the doors that are opened by doing a podcast or by doing digital production of media um, starts really unique conversations and actually has opened doors face to face that never would have happened without some level of digital production. And I know that's happened for visual artist friends of mine, musical friends of mine, um, cross genre. If, if we can find a way to bridge the digital to the face to face, I think that it can be an ongoing asset, even as we push back to pre predominantly live material. Uh, I think that I, I'm hoping like you are that like, I don't, I don't totally want the live stream to take over, but it definitely has been an asset for the people that oh, are yeah. able to, to capture it for sure. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's going to be great uh, because that's how society works. It will, things will coalesce around some sort of structure and it's going to be great. I mean, as long as people are smart and they're out there constructing their own little world right now, they'll be fine. I yeah. worry about the musicians who are still hiding under their beds, which there are many. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> But that's that's up to them, you know. But for people who are out there yeah. doing it, it's gonna be great. Yeah, I, I tell a lot of my clients that the the people that have had some momentum during this time and have either continued to create or continued to produce will hit the ground running when everything is fully open, rather than trying to play catch up. And I feel like right. there are there's a, there's a whole group of individuals that are going to be trying to play catch up and. I don't judge them for that because we all handle this mentally in a very different way. Um, but I know right. that the ones that are gaining some momentum, particularly right now, are going to be able to hit the ground running and and have some serious yeah. momentum on the other side of it, for sure. Yeah. Speaking, yeah. speaking of, um, talk to me a little bit about this, this new album. Yeah, man. Album number nine. Um, MP Quo uh, is a great producer in the city. She's producing the album. She's done my last three albums. We recorded it at Eastside Sound uh, in New York City, and man, I am I'm really excited. In fact, I, I, I'm carefully waiting to see a, a good moment to release the record this year, because uh, I want to, speaking of just momentum and this and that, I want to make sure that we can have some physical shows to, to promote the record. I don't want to um, release it in a 100% digital way. I just don't. And it just wouldn't fit with what I do because I'm, I really love uh, live performing. So um, I'm excited. It's, it's going to have Coco Bermejo on the drums, Kevin Haley on the bass, and Asaf Kahadi on guitar. And you met Kevin and Coco, the two yep. Ks, at, at Tommy Jazz last night. So uh, Kevin is from Australia, big Aussie, and he's, uh, he's a beast. He's playing bass on the record. And Coco uh, actually is my musical partner with this live stream show that we do coco plays drums and keyboards with me on this live stream so we're i see these guys constantly i see them almost every night uh for various gigs and sessions so and uh we did the session in one day and speaking of tommy jazz i we did the session in six hours i did a quick dinner break and then i raced over to midtown and played at tommy jazz man this is the tommy jazz how are your chops not exhausted after a day like that man you know, you know what, what's more tight. I know my, my face is usually fine. It, it's generally just, just the blowing. I don't realize how, how much of my career is just exhaling, blowing through a tube. 
basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, of course, schmoozing with people. I, I think if, if I just played music, it'd be fine. But I mean, you know, you have to I'm always meeting new people and you got to put on your game face and you have to to really be, become an actor, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. So the what's new the, album, yeah. What's the what's the music like? Oh man, it's like a mix of like progressive rock, fusion, American folk music. I love like even the music of like Pete Seeger, Arlo Guthrie, Woody Guthrie, the Weavers. I love like like that um, in the early folk rock of nineteen yeah. the 1960s. That's all in my music. You can hear that, especially when I play flute. So uh, my, I, I always tell people my music sounds a little bit like campfire music but but it just modulates a lot into new keys it's, it's kind of hard to follow imagine singing a campfire song and it changes keys every measure um that's how i would describe my music i'm actually terrible at describing my music i let the audience interpret because it's much more enjoyable for the audience to come up with their own description well yeah and the uh, music will the music will speak for itself guaranteed yeah, and I always find that as soon as you tell people, hey, this is what I sound like, immediately the person has to, you're almost restricting them and they have to like imagine it exactly how I describe it, which is never really how they how they feel it. Yeah. I mean, that's like that's like giving tasting notes in wine, you know. You you can you can say, "Oh, if you if you if you smell this, you'll catch these aromas and you'll taste this and this and this." And then the people will taste it whether it's there or not because that implication has been kind of you know yep. dropped into their brains i think i think you're right i think music tends to work the same way and Absolutely. then also then they immediately juxtapose you with either the musicians you just named or the a genre that they think they're aware of um, oh, yeah absolutely absolutely yeah yeah it's something that i have realized in recent years is to just uh, stop describing things <laughs> I mean, we're easy to find. You can you can find you can make you'll you'll have a good description just when you when you hear the music. Yeah. 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 Lastly, do you have any uh, advice for those coming up the ranks behind you, uh, the new generations of, yeah. of jazz musicians? Uh, don't listen to the older generation. And I would include myself. I mean, my 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 rules are different than what the younger guys are coming up with, you know, um, I, I know that sounds kind of strange. I mean, and I actually do, I help a lot of young artists and I give advice, but honestly, it's, they really shouldn't feel like they have to follow my, my parameters. Their, their culture is totally different than mine. I mean, I don't consider myself an old guy, but I mean, I'm in a different generation than the guys in their twenties. So, uh, they should honestly embrace their own culture and, and really, uh, they, they've got a great control of everything as far as like marketing and social media. The young guys completely have this under control. And as long as they can be smart and have a physical presence, I would mm. say like the, if, if a guy is, if a guy or a girl in their twenties um, who's killing it on social media, if they also are amazing as a, as a um, in-person one-to-one, they can speak well, like they have all that down. They're, they'll be unstoppable. Um, you know, don't be too lopsided. I do think obviously people are kind of living on social media now and that's not good, but, but if they can balance the two, they'll be unstoppable because young people can adjust to anything. They, they're always, mm. technology changes, they jump on every new trend. So, uh, in the, and in the jazz world, there's, 
the older musicians, sometimes they mean well, but their advice is terrible for young musicians. It really is. I mean, it's really, you know, I've for years, people just told me, well, you want to get gigs, go to a jam session. And like, you know, I realized very early on that that's horrible advice. I mean, you should go to a jam session to just play and grow, but like, you're not going to get gigs. You want to get gigs. You got to like go hustle, go get online, find it. Use this, this wonderful tool called Google and look for gigs. It's not (laughs) rocket science. How fast can you type an email? Man, just, I would just tell young people to just keep doing what they're doing. Be very, very respectful, show up early, be prepared, be well-spoken in person. But honestly, they own the culture, uh, their their culture, and like they should just go for it in their own way. They'll make it. They'll they'll kill it. I am nothing but positive about young people coming up. This is a beautiful time for young people to come up. I don't like it when I hear the negative um, words that are spoken by the older the old guard. That oh, it's it's going to be harder to make it as a musician. I reject all of that, and yeah. any smart musician will reject that. Generally, people who are not succeeding at something are always going to have that negative advice because they're they're failing at it. So this is they're you know they're projecting that to young people. But young right. people need to yeah you know what I mean. Young people have to reject that and find their own path. This is a beautiful time to launch your career. Uh, the sky's the limit. I mean, this is a beautiful world. It's a gift from God, man. And I just you know young people should just embrace it. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that mindset. I think it's, uh, I think it's not just wise, but it it demonstrates the fact that each each generation comes up in a different way, and they have they have already lined up a different path than we had. It, yeah, it can't be the same. It can't no. be identical. I can't tell people do what I did and you'll have success because the world is a little different now, and. Yep. I'm me, which means I deal with things in certain ways. So I think that, you know, make your own path, make it what it is, uh, live in your own culture, I think is, uh, or, or embrace your own culture and its strengths, I think is um, extremely wise. I think that's fantastic advice. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for, for taking the time, brother, and uh, appreciate it. We'll have to, I'll have to come back over to, to Tommy sometime and, and hang out while you're playing live and get some drinks and, and definitely man. around the city a little bit. Yeah, we'll we'll catch up soon. It's been great talking with you. If you're interested in contributing to Artist Relief Tree to help artists struggling with COVID-19 shutdowns, please visit artistrelieftree.com. This has been an episode of This Artistic Life. Find us on your favorite podcast apps and subscribe. Follow This Artistic Life on Instagram at This Artistic Life and on Twitter at Artistic Vita. For more information on today's guest, visit our website, thisartisticpodcast.com.